to the One Life Unchained podcast. This is me, Toby. I fucking hate talking and hearing my voice. Um, I love this podcast. I love interviewing people and hearing their stories. You guys already know my story. I just hate talking. I'm talking in the kitchen right now by myself. Um, trying to do a recap for you guys because we just finished um, six episodes. First one was my mom, then my brothers, then Rusty Pistachio. My band, Brett Girl, it's in Tim Armstrong. What was supposed to happen after Rusty Pistachio would be a New York City chapter, but I didn't have time to interview 25 people. So the next season, starting next Monday, will be NYHC Family Tree. And that's going to be covering 1988 to 1994. But to recap a little bit about um, what you guys heard already, I did my mom's in September. First time ever interviewing anybody in my entire life. Um, Pretty emotional. Pretty raw. A lot of floodgates opened up. My mom was kind of bummed about that episode, but after she thanked me because it was such positive feedback, I was showing her the messages from people that were connected to that episode. Um, you know, my mom has selective memory, so do I. Me and my brothers blocked shit out. We had a traumatic incident as children with our father passing. Definitely need therapy, all of us. Since then, I went and got a cardiogram of my heart, got my blood tested. Had, I've been a hypochondriac my entire life because of my father and how he died so early at 34. But I'm healthy as an 18-year-old girl, my doctor would say. Um, so that's good. Um, yeah, that episode was pretty intense. And then what was interesting is that my mom didn't remember certain things, but then my brother Tracy had so such good memory of so many things I didn't even know about. My grandfather getting killed by my grandmother. My brother Tracy throwing a cop through a plate glass, plate glass window. My mom saying, you a spoiler rotten. You a spoiler brat. But Todd's like, we weren't spoiled. Not with money or material things. We were very poor. Maybe with some love from my grandparents and our family, which you're supposed to be spoiled with love. But, yeah, man. Very interesting episodes. And Rusty ties it all in with, you know, his stories. Um, he was like a big brother to me. He was a superhero. He was, he was my defender. He remembered me getting straight up some report card and some lady feeling bad for me because I had ripped up clothes and gave me a leather jacket with a $100 bill in it. She was like a stripper that lived a couple doors down from us. Um, so that's pretty cool. A lot of crazy cool stories in those first three episodes. It was really important for me to have my mom on here first so you guys can get a better understanding how I grew up. And then also my brother speaking, the Rusty Pistachio, who is like another brother to me. It's like my mother's fourth son. But my mom's amazing, real as fuck. I love her. I want to have her on here again. Maybe she'll be a co-host one day. Um, my favorite part of the whole was like, you're a stupid jerk, Tabby. You should have been a rapper. And then people kind of got weird with Rusty's episode because Rusty kind of talks like this and he kind of whispers and tells a story about him getting shot and hanging out and making fuck these rednecks. Blah, blah, blah. That's just how Rusty talks. So we had the volume turned up as loud as possible, but people just thought, what the fuck is he saying? Rusty's like the horse whisperer, but for humans. Sweetest fucking human in the world. Just don't get in a car with him or Moon because they got the craziest road rage. Um, no rules apply to Rusty Pistachio or Moon Morse. But that's a different episode. Love you, Rusty. That was a great episode. Thanks for opening up to everybody. Brett Gerowitz, I love you, my man. Been through a lot of shit with you. You've been awesome. Did so much for my band. Shit, they made one of our van got broken into and our trailer got stolen. They got us a whole new van and trailer. So many great stories on that episode. Such a long one, but intense and wonderful and honest Episode 6, Tim Armstrong, my brother from another mother. Love you so much, Tim. Thank you for your time always. You're a great friend. You've been nothing but supportive to me 
with my band from day one and everything I've been involved with, all involved with, from my nonprofit to my podcast to H2O. I really love you and appreciate you in my life. You're a great fucking friend. You're a great human. You've inspired so many fucking people around the world. So what happened next after Rusty Pistachio would be, if this was chronological order like I'm supposed to be doing, is that I moved to New York City. I was living with Shelly Shackley, my, my first love. My mom had kicked me out of the house at 17. She was like, if you don't get a job, you're going to get kicked out. I ended up getting a job three days too late, and she kicked me out. Shelly Shackley's parents took me in. She was a ninth grader. I was a senior. I moved into her attic. One of my chores was to clean their pool. I'm not too sure how long I lived there, but they knew I wasn't going to be, they knew there's no future of us together. They knew I was older. They knew I was moving to New York. I wasn't going to college. I didn't want to stay in St. Mary's County. So I remember leaving her house, that winding road, through her wooded um, driveway, so many trees, with Dave Weiskopf and Todd Morris, and they're driving me to New York City to get dropped off at CBGB's. I had met Timmy Chunks when Token Energy played in D.C. at the Marble Bar with Rollins Band in 1987. We'd become pen pals. For those who don't know what pen pals are, that means you write letters to people. Actually, take your time and write a letter. And you write letters back and forth through the mail. So, uh, in my yearbook, it actually said in the class of 1988, move to New York City, support the scene, and keep skating. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what I wanted to do with my life. I knew I wanted to do something in music. I was intrigued by the New York hardcore scene. I loved the bands that I saw from New York that always came to play in D.C. But I only had been there once with my uncle, probably. Uncle Ray took me there. And my mom, early... 80s, I was like nine years old. I don't think he even took a subway. I think we were taking cabs. Saw the Empire State Building and stuff. But I only seen pictures of CBGBs in you know New York City itself. So we drive up there. It's like a four or five hour drive. Get to CBGBs. Token Energy is about the place. See Timmy put my shit in his car or the van or whatever. And we stay for the show. If you've never been to CBGBs, it is something special. There's a smell, there's a look, there's a vibe, there's an energy. It's scary, it's exciting, and I fucking loved it. The people outside, the characters, the pit bulls, the 40 ounces, the skinheads, the punks. It was just so fucking surreal. Like I had been to shows in Newport, Rhode Island, and Providence, Rhode Island. I'd been to shows in Washington, D.C., and Southern Maryland. But all those scenes are different. And New York's its own fucking animal. And it was scary, man. I, didn't, I was such a naive young kid, I didn't know what to expect. Show is amazing. After the show, we drive out to Queens. Get to the apartment. It's uh, I moved to Flushing, Queens. Get into the house and his brother's on the couch doing bong hits, eating pizza. I was like, holy shit. Like, this is real shit. This is real grown-up shit, you know? Um, I was 17 or 18. I'm not even sure. Pete told me I was 17. That's later on in this, in, this, in this season. We talk about getting my first tattoo in Long Island. But Pete said it was 17. I don't know. 17 or 18. Get my room. Get my bed. Continue writing letters to Shelly Shackley. Trying to keep this relationship going. Several months later, I get a letter from her. The Dear John letter. Like, hey, this ain't working out. Long distance isn't working. I mean, she's young. I was young. You know. We're kids. So that was over. That was really hard to deal with. That's the first time I got some tough love. Timmy Chunk's like, hey, man. Whatever, it's over. Keep your chin up, kid. Keep it moving, kid. That was the beginning of that, like, New York kind of, like, tough love. A couple months later, Timmy Chunk's like, hey, you got to move out. 
My brother said the landlord said you cannot live here anymore. He did not know you moving here. I'm not sure if Timmy Chunks even told the landlord I was coming. To him, it was no big deal. Yeah, come live with me, kid. It's all good. For me, I was leaving my 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 girlfriend, my mom, my brothers, all my friends. It was a huge deal to move to New York City by myself. But Timmy's like, oh, this is a, good, this is a cool kid. He can come live with me. It was really awesome, Timmy. So thank you about that. At that point, Arthur Smelios, who was in token entry, about to leave to join Gorilla Biscuits. He's like, hey, you can come live with me. So immediately I moved in with Arthur Smelios to Astoria, Queens with his dad and his sister. I definitely had a crush on his sister. I um, lived in one of the rooms there that was amazing. They took care of me. Arthur got me a job with him working at, at a telemarketing place called Myers Research Center on 40th Street in Manhattan next to the Histori uh, History Museum. That was really fun. That was like 89 I'm going to post a picture when this podcast comes out with his episode. He drew a picture of me sitting at my desk in 1989. We had so much fun working there at Myers. Took the train and bus to work. Super good vibes. So I started doing some road trips with Gorilla Biscuits. I still did some stuff with Token Entry, Underdog, Raw Deal, Killing Time. Did some weekend things after I met all those guys. After that, working there and living with Arthur, I ended up living at the Schick House in Queens with Craig Sickerwoodall and Devil. Devil from the Alleyway Crew had the most sick of all dragons ever. And then I moved into Astoria, Steinway Street with Dave Stein, my good friend who later on became H2O's lawyer and still is our lawyer to this day. I think him and Skirm lived there. I had carried all my Thrasher magazines to New York with me in these milk crates. I've been collecting Thrasher magazines since they came out. And I just kept moving all around from couch to couch. And so those things kind of got lost in the shuffle. There was no cell phones back there, but I was getting messages from Dave Stein like, hey man, let Toby know. I'm moving soon. Come get your thrashers. But I never got my thrashers. Sucks. Anywho, met the Sick of It All guys. Started working with them, doing shows in Tri-State area, doing weekend stuff. They also got me a job at Concrete Marketing. And we worked records like Temple of the Dog and um, Soundgarden and Nirvana. And uh, we smashed the shit out of those records and cassettes and tapes, threw some out the windows onto Broadway. <laughs> and that's when the hardcore hustle began. That's what Pete Sigurdall calls it. We'd all, we, at the end of the week, we'd gather a bunch of shit we stole from these jobs and go sell these CDs and make cash. And you'll hear about this later, but that's how I met Isaac. He was working at Relativity Records, and uh, he, was, he would be at the same record store called Second Coming Records or Generation Records. And we all see all these hardcore kids every Friday night, last day of the week, selling their CDs and their backpacks. That was fun working there. Then I started working at Roadrunner Records with Todd Friend. I want to say maybe Pete worked there or something. I'm not sure. That was the longest job I had was Roadrunner Records. That was awesome because I could leave and I could come and go as I please and go on tour. I'd go to South America and Japan and Europe. Was sick of it all in '90, '91, '92, '93. Full time touring with Sick of It All as a roadie. I was the worst roadie ever. Craig will tell that story in this season. I'm sure Pete will too, and Armand and Lou. Um, but it was fun. They took me on tour because I was their friend and I did crazy shit. I'm sure you heard stories about me, you know, shooting shit out my ass and doing pussy boy and smashing things and being a crazy person. Yes, I was a crazy hyperactive person. What you heard might be true, might not be true. You have to hear this, uh, the season. Super fun with Sick of It All. It was great when I got to go back to D.C. with Sick of It All because all my friends from Maryland would come up and it would be fun. A Safari Club or a 930 Club or a Wilson Center or a D.C. Space, one of those shows. Got to see my friends from Maryland. But in 1992, one of the shows, I met a girl named there named Moon. I had, I had my head shaved. I had a cane. I'd hurt my leg skateboarding. And um, 
She saw me from across the room and her eyes connected. We fell in love forever. Not true. She liked me. We met each other. And that's where things began with us. And that's on a different episode with me and Moon coming up in this season as well. The Toby and Moon story. Um, so yeah, that was amazing. Got to meet my wife out there. New York was fucking crazy. It was, it was the best time for hip hop. Moon was working at the Palladium in the Limelight. I got to see Wu-Tang perform Protect Your Neck for the first time. De La Soul, Tribe, Big Daddy Kane, LL Cool J, Black Moon, Third Bass. So many amazing hip-hop shows and clubs. Me and Isaac and Freddie would roll up to like Sheets and Pillows and all these hip-hop clubs. I remember going to see Eric B and Rakim with Isaac, and there was a huge shootout. We were running out the fire escapes. It's fucking crazy, man. Got to meet Madonna twice, living in New York. Those, that's a whole entire episode in itself. Got to meet Tupac. Being in two Onyx videos. Bad Brains video. Civ video. Um, Sick of it all video. House of Pain video. Got my first tattoo. Talk about that in the season. at uh, From Cindy at Peter Tattoo in Long Island. That's where she did all the Alleyway Dragons. And the Sick of it all logo came from a piece of flash that was in there on the wall. That's a great story as well. Um, became vegetarian. Ended up moving into Jackson Heights, Queens with Gorilla Biscuits. It was me, Siv, Walter, and Alan Cage. Got to be part of the Start Today record, sing on that. Um, there was really not a lot of room for me, for me in that apartment, so I actually moved into the closet in Alan Cage's room. So I, I slept in the closet. It sounds funny and weird, but it was a really nice closet, and I could shut the things and sleep in there. It was, it's like sleeping in like a, a bus on a, on, a, on, a, on a, a bunk on a tour bus. But if you look at the Gorilla Biscuits album, you can see they thanked me as Toby Closet Master. That was a pretty fun time living in there. I also got a job from Marco Siega from Bad Trip. Um, he worked at a rehearsal studio in Queens, and that's where Gorilla Biscuits and Youth of Today practice. And I was in charge of like scheduling the bands. I'll never forget seeing Youth of Today in there one time when they first came back from like India, and Ray was you know getting into the Krishna conscious stuff. And I walked into the practice, and they were all doing like yoga and they're in headstands and shit. It was really cool, man. It was the beginning of something special. Um, yeah, man. Me drug-free in the midst of it all. Crazy fucking summer hanging out with Madball. Tried to be a positive role model, but I got caught up in the rumble. All that shit is real. I'm not a violent person. Had never been in a fight in my entire life. Any kind of violence around me, Rusty was there to protect. I hated violence. Um, I was always a positive person trying to keep the peace. But I moved to New York, and I was around people. I never wrote graffiti in my entire life. I never been in a fight and I moved to New York and I met a bunch of people and I was there I was by myself out there I mean my brother had just moved to Jersey his band Alcrow were trying to make it in New York Rusty moved to Rochester to go to college and I was kind of just out there I met all these amazing characters and human beings who are still my friend today all my friends today they affect him life in such different ways um none of them were all straight edge none of them were pacifists none of them were uh, vegans, none of them, you know, all diverse walks of life, all from the hardcore scene, and these people had your fucking back. And there was this whole thing with New York that it's a, it's a, it's a underlying, undergoing theme of all these interviews. This tough love, this, I got tough skin for moving there. The friends there would break your balls so hard. I'm not sure if it's like a New York thing or not, but they break your balls so hard they they poke at your weakness over and over and over again until you fucking snapped. But they loved you. And the minute somebody fucked with you, they'd be getting rat-packed. You're like, they had your back for life. They were your brothers, man. It was a dysfunctional, crazy family, the New York hardcore scene. But I love every single person that I get on this podcast. They're my friends, and they affected me in, in, in a way who made me who I am today. 
You know, these are people who touched my life, touched my life in many different ways. And uh, I'm honored to call them all friends. These are my peers. These are my heroes. These are legends. These are people that took me under their wing. They took my band, who wasn't even from New York, under that New York hardcore umbrella and embraced us as a new band. And it's crazy, man. Yeah, New York City, it's crazy because this timeline's only 1988 to 1994. It's only six years. But so much happened. Like, so I turned into a man, I guess. But, like, it was just fucking wild. It was prime time for hip-hop and hardcore in New York. The city was on fire, Lower East Side, like all the different shows. Like it was, it was the best time to be in New York, man. Got to meet Moon there, and that started something wonderful in New York City. And it's all leading up to my band. You know, I, I had been a roadie. I was working at these record labels. I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. You know, I definitely loved being on stage and watching my friends kill it. And uh, but also, I, I felt like I had some something to say as well. So towards the end of my time with Sick of It All, I started writing lyrics and shit. We talk about that. Me and Pete had a lyric book and they started writing songs and songs and songs and lyrics. And I really want to start a band like after that tour is over. I was like, I'm, I'm, I'm going to start this band H2O. Like I'm inspired. All my friends are inspiring me right now. I, I got something to say too and I want to say it. So, I mean, pretty much this chapter could be called One Life, One Chance because I fucking basically moved from Maryland by myself at 18 years old not knowing what the fuck I wanted to do, just knowing I wanted to be in New York City and support New York City. I took that chance, man, and here I am now, fucking 25 years later, in the same band, with the same woman, doing what I love, so fuck, man. I could have took a totally different route. There's some people that have fucked up childhoods and maybe just have like you know a loss in their family, and then they, they go to... I could have easily went to drugs and said, oh, I lost my dad, I'm a fucked up kid, and I'm sad, I'm going to go to drugs. I didn't. Luckily, I found hardcore and I found it. And I found this path, and I found Minor Threat, and uh, shit, I was already 12 or 13 years old, and I didn't try anything, and I saw my brothers kind of wilding out, so I was like, fuck, I can skate to this music, it's still aggressive, and, and it's telling me I don't have to drink or smoke to be cool, that shit fucking saved my life, saved my life, and then moving in with Gorilla Biscuits, and listening to KRS-One, Youth of Today, and Gorilla Biscuits, and becoming a vegetarian, and being able to scream, Thou shall not kill on that Gorilla Biscuits record is fucking powerful, man. W w what a lucky person I am to have lived in Newport, Rhode Island with a verbal assault, vicious circle, auto rich, proletariat, positive outlook, and seeing those amazing shows. And then go to Southern Maryland and start going to D.C. to get to see Fugazi Embrace, Rights of Spring, Soulside, Government Issue, um, Swizz, Scream, Marginal Man. Fuck, man. I said embrace, didn't I? Yeah, like, fuck. The best of those two scenes? I then get to New York and be in the prime where it's like Agnostic Front, Sick of It All, Madball, Warzone, Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Murphy's Law, Sheer Terror, Crown of Thorns, fuck, man, Black Train Jack, Underdog, so many fucking bands, man. It's just, I was so fucking lucky to be part of these three scenes, you know, and I was so lucky to, like, be accepted into those scenes and you know made a lot of great friends in those scenes and it made me who i am today like all these different places i lived in the east coast like i'm an east coast mutt i rep east coast forever that's that's my home that's my heart it's where everything started for me it's my life and um that's my roots and being in those places at those times and being part of those amazing things was and then to have like you know anthony killing time and jimmy gestapo and civ and freddie and Dickie and Armand and Pete and Lou and 
all, all those guys to be in the studio and we recorded our first album to be there supporting us. These are people that I love their bands before I even moved to New York. It was just a fucking blessing, man. Like, I'm really happy I knew all these people. John Joseph, just fuck, man. All these people, man. It was just... So this chapter is really important to me. This chapter is where everything changed for me. It's where everything, everything, where I really fucking dived into hip-hop. It was so fucking amazing that time. Oh, shit, I worked at fucking Nana Shoes on Prince Street in Soho. Worked there right before my band started. Me and my boy, John Fuentes, who became, uh, he's a hip-hop head rapper in that group Nonfiction. But we both worked it together. And we both had demos. We played each other our demos. And I'm going to have, I think I'm going to have the, the girls, my homies from um, on this. I'm going to interview those girls soon and have them on this season. Because that was some, such a fun time working across the street from Fat Farm on Prince Street. And... Uh, the energy, just everything. That was like right before my band actually became a real band. So, fuck, man. So much nostalgia, man. There's so many great moments. I can't wait to tell the Madonna stories to you. There's two different ones. The Tupac story. Um, all the tattoo stories. And, uh, yeah, I interviewed, shit, 25 people already for this season. So, this is going to be a long one. But And some of these people you guys may have never heard of. And you may not. Who the fuck is this person he's talking to? You may not have heard of them, but to me, they're a huge impact on my life. Like, I have so many people saying, when are you going to interview this person? And you know that person, you know that person, you know actors and, and musicians and tattoo artists and this, that. Yeah, I have tons of different diverse friends, but I'm starting at the roots. I'm starting where everything began for me. This is my chronological order. This is my, this is my audio book to the book I haven't written. This is my oral history. This is so important to me. You guys understand that who the people are I met growing up to, be, to become whatever I am now. These are the people. These are like the roots. These are like my foundation. And it's important for me to share with you what inspired them and then in turn they inspired me. That's the whole concept and the whole reason behind this whole entire podcast. Um, this podcast is about me interviewing people who inspire me, people who have been part of my life, people who uh, helped me grow, people who made me who I am today. Um, so yeah. I hope you guys are enjoying this. I'm enjoying it. It's been very therapeutic. Sometimes, uh, I know the sound's getting better now, but I just started this in September. It's gotten way better now. I'm learning as I go. Please bear with me. DIY dad to the fullest. But yeah, I can't wait you guys to hear these episodes and my one with me and my wife. That's a really special one to me. Um, so thank you guys for listening. Make sure you guys review and you subscribe. All that shit. Um, I can't believe how fast this is building and the listeners I have is fucking incredible. Um, but yeah, so up next, starting next week, Family Tree NY8C. Hope you guys love it. I love you guys and appreciate all the support you guys have given me in my entire fucking life with everything I've been involved in, involved with my nonprofit, my band, the merchandise I make, this podcast. I'm truly lucky to be able to do what I love and express myself and have you guys actually give a fuck what I'm talking about. So thank you guys so much from the bottom of my heart. Take care. Bye. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Um, please rate, review, uh, subscribe. If you haven't subscribed yet to this podcast, please do that. And whatever platform you are listening to this on, I'm glad you found me. You can rate me and review me on there also. So thank you guys sincerely for the support. I cannot wait for you guys to hear the next one.